welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. They had taken to them. David recovered all. David recovered all. Amen. I, I want to I preach or talk to you tonight and hopefully uh, challenge your spirit and strengthen your resolve in, into this new year. And by the way, your new year, how it starts on January 1 is how you work on it right now. And so I, I want to talk about against the odds, against the odds. How many know you're here, you're standing here tonight against the odds? You shouldn't have made it tonight. You, you shouldn't even be alive right now. You, you've, been, you've been done wrong. You've been lied on, cheated, misunderstood. You've been hurt by people in life maybe church people, and you shouldn't even be, but you're here tonight against the odds. Life has been hard. Maybe you messed up and sinned, and the enemy's telling you because of your failures, you shouldn't be here, but you're here against the odds. And I'm, I've come to tell you tonight, if you can make it this far, you can make it to the fullness of what God has for your life. I, I, I feel like encouraging us in this season that there is a destiny in your life. You're not just wandering aimlessly through time and space. God has a purpose and God has a plan. And against the odds, I believe you can let God realize that plan in your life. Amen. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great grace and your wonderful mercy. Lord, I pray that you would tonight speak to us through your holy word. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would strengthen every weary mind and encourage every weary spirit right now. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the clarity and the boldness of your word. Lord, transformative things that we can move out of this year with victory and into the next year with purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise again tonight? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. Look at somebody and tell them, I'm here against the odds. John Wesley Powell has been pretty much forgotten. It used to be that, that every grade school kid in America knew about John Wesley Powell and his amazing courage to survive against the odds. How many's ever heard of John Wesley Powell? It's a very common story uh, growing up and those that are more seasoned in life raised their hands because they knew of John Wesley Powell. Uh, you see, as a matter of fact, not only did they teach about him used to in school, they would teach about him and his courage to survive against the odds, but also a lot of people thought that that Powell was nuts, and they, they had good reason to think 
that he was a crazy man because um, the expedition that he was to go on to was simply too dangerous for any man to go on, especially for a man who only had one arm. Now, now let me explain. During the Civil War, John Wesley Powell had lost his arm when an enemy soldier shot him through the forearm. And as was commonplace back then, instead of bandaging the wound and trying to recover the wound, it was quicker and more simple and had a higher survival rate to avoid infection if they would just amputate the wound. Matter of fact, there were so many amputations during the Civil War, especially among the Southern soldiers, that after the war was ended, women would brag if they married a husband who had all four of their extremities because amputation was so common during that time. Amen. Uh, but they amputated his arm. But Powell never let his injury stop him from what he felt his destiny in life was. And John Wesley Powell didn't even let it stop him from becoming a national hero. Because back in 1869, conventional wisdom said that passage through the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River was simply impossible. The, the country surrounding the Grand Canyon oozed with legends of doomed expeditions. No one had ever dared that stretch of river and come out alive to tell the tale. Out of all of the expeditions that had given it their best shot over the years, not one person had ever survived going from one end of the Grand Canyon to the other end on the Colorado River. One army lieutenant had explored the Colorado just on the southern side of the Grand Canyon, and, and he believed that the powerful river was so treacherous that the, he said that the Colorado, along the greater part of its lonely and majestic way, shall forever be unvisited and undisturbed by modern man. It is just too difficult and impossible a task. But John Wesley Powell, the one-armed explorer, thought, I think I can pull this off. And on May 24, 1869, John Wesley Powell and a party of nine men stepped into their boats to attempt the thousand-mile journey along the way. Their party encountered numerous ambushes on their journey. Those of you that know will remember the story of the ambushes. They were ambushed by killer rapids. They were ambushed by deadly waterfalls. They were ambushed by boulders the size of homes and cabins. They were ambushed by lots loss of boats. They were ambushed by the loss of critical food. They were ambushed by the loss of critical navigation instruments and survival instruments. Yet 100 days later from the time they launched into the Colorado River, Powell and five of the nine men emerged from two boats. The hope of their survival had been given up for weeks. They had been written off as dead and that here was another tragic expedition that had gone wrong and nobody will ever be able to navigate the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. When they arrived, they were suffering from exposure and near starvation. But here's the fact. They made it. They made it. What happened to the other four men? Well, one decided to turn back. The other three, after numerous disagreements with Powell, left the expedition. 
They hiked up to the rim of the canyon only to be killed by the Indians. But Powell and his few men determined that they were going to make it all the way. I want to tell you something. Living for God, there has to be a determination in you that I am going to make the journey. I'm going to make it to my destination, heaven, and it doesn't matter how many ambushes come along the way. Against the odds, I'm not going to walk out on God. I'm not going to backslide. It doesn't matter how many people in my boat turn around and go back. It doesn't matter how many hike out and try to climb up to the canyon rim. I've determined that against the odds, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved, and I'm not going to let my salvation depend on what others say to me, what others do to me, or who else abandons the journey. I have determined God has a plan for my life, and I am going to make it against the odds. Amen. Now, now I want to tell you something. Life, and if you've lived for God long enough, you know this. Life and service to our God is going to have more than a few obstacles for us to move through as we live. The longer I live, the more and more I come to believe that this is something uh, that burns in the heart of man that helps us to press on against the odds when we realize tough days are going to happen. But God made us for the tough days. God didn't just make us for the victory. He made us for the battle. Amen. Amen. And, and this is what the church is beginning to understand, that the armaments that have been afforded to the church were given to us to overcome the enemy. And not only the enemy, but every obstacle that the enemy puts in our way. And revival that we're in now, the spirit of revival that is moving in us right now, has the capacity to awaken those things within the heart of men and women in the church, even those who are the most distant from the altar. It will start awakening something in them saying, God has called me to do more and to be more. I'm not coming to church out of religious obligation. I'm not having a prayer life because I'm afraid of hell. I'm not trying to walk with Jesus because I'm trying to outdo anybody, but I am going to live for God and bless your little pea-picking heart. I'm going to live for God with victory and joy, and I will be the overcomer that God has promised me to be. And I won't be able to overcome by sure, sheer will alone. And I'm not going to be able to overcome by my own determination and power alone. That's why God has given us an armament that we can overcome any obstacle or any foe that may step in our way. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinthians in the second letter, in the 10th chapter, and at the beginning at the third verse. Paul wrote them and said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Let me help somebody here uh, tonight. Your enemy's not your co-worker. It's not your boss. It's not your family. It's not the politician. Our enemy is an unseen spirit. And because it's an unseen spirit, we don't fight in the flesh. We fight in the spirit. Then Paul went on to define it even more and say that for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to what? The pulling down of strong, not weak holds, not like lightly occupied enemy territory. Our weapons of warfare were given to us to pull down strongholds. Watch verse 5. Casting down imaginations. 
Because where is the battle? Casting down imaginations. No sin revealed through the flesh has come alone through the flesh. It started in the mind. People lose out with God here before they lose out with God here. It all starts here. That's why you have to cast down imaginations. This is why we have to be, and I know this is old-fashioned Bible teaching, but just, just deal with it for a little bit. This is why we got to be careful what we allow to play before our imagination. What entertains our imagination. Amen. Somebody stood up one time at our general conference many years ago when the debate of television was going through and someone got up and said, well, I don't think there's a big difference between radio and television. And Bishop Price got up on the general conference floor, and I believe this was in 1976, and he took the microphone amongst thousands of ministers, and he said, gentlemen, it's not that hard. There's a big difference between hearing a naked woman sing and watching a naked woman sing. I'll say it a little bit slower. There's a difference between hearing it and seeing it. We have got to guard what is before our eyes. The word of God said, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. We have got to guard what goes before our eyes. Why? Because it will create imaginations. And Paul, through the Holy Ghost, foresaw that there would be a day and an age to which the church would. Did Paul see television and internet and cell phones? I don't know that he saw that. Amen. But the Holy Ghost knew it because it is eternal. And so it forever canonized in the Holy Word of God that we are to cast down imaginations. I'm telling you that pornography begins in the imagination. Anger begins in the imagination. Murder begins in the imagination. Infidelity begins in the imagination. And Paul said we were given weapons through the Spirit that we could cast down imagination. If you don't want to go through with it, you need to take the reins of your imagination. And you, you don't need to put it in a corner. You don't need to tuck it away and slide it under the bed. You don't need to box it up and put it in the top of the closet. You need to cast that imagination down. Amen. Along with every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then if that wasn't enough, Paul continues to deal with the mind. Because right after he says that, he says, and bringing into captivity most of your thoughts. Huh? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. People often say it came out of my mouth before I knew it. If that it was, it's physiologically, scientifically impossible for that to happen. But if things are coming out of your mouth that you can't check, it's because you have no restraint on your mind. And an unfettered mind is a dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, an unfettered mind is an eternally damnable thing for your soul. And this is why Paul said, use these weapons to bring every thought into captivity. You know what captivity means? It means literally to arrest it, to bind it. The next time your mind runs off, and I'm not just talking about the, the dirty stuff. 
You need to arrest that. You need to arrest those thoughts too. But you need to arrest the thoughts of I'm going to die with cancer. You need to arrest the thoughts of I'm going to have a car accident every time you get in your car. You need to arrest the thoughts of doubt. You need to arrest the thought. Bring into captivity those things that cause you to question even the existence of God. You need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That means when I arrest it, I'm going to make it now obey Christ. Let's be honest, Satan has embezzled some things from the church, both individually and collectively. I do believe that the church is reaching a point of recovery to take back the things that hell plundered out of our life. He's plundered joy. He's robbed victory. He's kidnapped our children who are caught up into a place of worldliness. He's pillaged our prayer lives. He's mocked our worship. He's looted our peace. He's robbed us of our rest. But there's always another side to the story. We don't have to let him get away like a bandit in the night. Because God has given us weapons through the Spirit that against the odds, we can take back what is rightfully Hours. We can take back what the enemy, as we used to sing, what the enemy stole from us. Amen. We need to believe that God is restoring right now, not in 2024, but the restoration process begins right now. I'm getting my peace back. I'm getting my joy back. I'm getting my hope back. Amen. All of this, I'm not talking about a shot in the arm or a little high on a Sunday. I'm talking about walking in peace and victory and joy because God didn't intend for you to have it on Sunday and lose it for the rest of the week. I believe stepping into this new year, you're not going to get it after January 1st. You're going to start getting it right now and walk into the new year with victory against the odds, against the bad doctor's report, against the bad financial situation. You're going to step into the new year saying, I know I shouldn't be this thankful. I know I shouldn't be this happy. I know I shouldn't have this much peace. Hell tried everything in its power to steal my peace and my joy and my victory he tried to take my sanity but against the odds I'm stepping into this year in the promise and in the purpose of God because as long as I'm still alive the purpose of God in my life is real now in our text that I read in 1 Samuel chapter 30 amen it's leading up to uh, one of my this is one of my favorite stories of David and, and, and you've got to understand that David is still having to deal with the onslaught and the pursuit by Saul. That didn't just go away. He's constantly having to look over his shoulder because Saul and his men are trying to hunt him down like an animal. And he lives somewhat on the run. And, and then we understand that we find in 1 Samuel 29 that David was in a place called Apec. And Apec was three days' journey from Ziklag. And while David had been in Apec, the Amalekites had been working destruction at the only sanctuary, the only safe place that David had in his life. And if you'll remember the story about the Amalekites, the Amalekites were the people, they were the people who had badgered and provoked the children of Israel practically every step of the way when they left Egypt even until the time that they had settled in the promised land, 
It was the Amalekites that dogged them and prodded them and poked them and were constantly trying to stir stuff up. You need to get victory over that, that thing that is always trying to stir you up and take your focus off of what God has for your life. Finally, God had enough. He said, I'll read it, but I'm going to use a man. And he instructs Saul through the prophet. He says, I, I want your men to eat. I want you to get some strength. Amen. Then he says, I want you to go to battle against the Amalekites because I'm going to anoint you to totally annihilate the Amalekites. Amen. And he said, but here's the deal. When you go in to annihilate them, amen, I know we get uncomfortable with these parts of the Old Testament, but, but, but God said, I want you to wipe them out. I want you to kill every one of them. And he said, I want not one breathing Amalekite when this is all said and done. Every man, woman, boy, child, you get rid of them. As a matter of fact, you annihilate everything that's living among them. You kill every cow, every goat. You ca I don't care if they got a chicken, kill it. If they got rats in the walls, burn it down and kill them too. Don't leave anything alive that has to do with those people. See, here's the problem that we have. We grow attached to our problems. We get comfortable on our crutch. I, I know some people that can never totally get healed or totally never have health in their life because they live off the, the constant awe and taco head. Let me explain the awe and taco head. It's this, aw, because nobody eats a taco with their head straight up and down. Not any normal human. You got to tilt to get it, right? So they live off the, uh, if God were to heal them, they would be more miserable healed because they couldn't gain people's ah taco head. They couldn't gain people's sympathy. They somehow find joy in being a victim. They find joy. They find some kind of completion in everything going wrong in their life. Amen. Here's the thing. If you want the peace of God in your life, you've got to let God work on your behalf. Amen. And so Paul, Paul, uh, uh, excuse me, God instructs Saul. He said, I want you to kill everything of the Amalekites. I want you to get rid of it. And so what did Saul do? Saul was so full of himself and so full of pride, he commanded his men to go on a fast. And then he said, what we're going to do is we're going to wipe them out, but, but we're going to keep a few things. And so the prophet shows up, and they had killed the soldiers. But all of a sudden, when the prophet shows up, he says, Samuel, what have you done? Or Saul, what have you done? Saul says to Samuel, well, I did what the Lord said. He said, if you did what the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing the story, he said, if you did what the Lord said, why am I hearing the bleeding of sheep and the, and the lowing of, of cattle? Why do I hear the spoils of victory still alive? And, and, and then Saul starts saying, well, we were just going to keep them so we could sacrifice them. To, listen to me. If you want total victory over the thing that has come against your life, you've got to annihilate it. And because of that, because of that, Saul would be booted out of the kingdom. And Israel would constantly deal with the Amalekites. You've got to kill it. You, you, you can't let it live. And you've got to move on. Sad was in a, uh, Saul was in a sad spiritual state. He was backslid in his heart. He was full of pride. And he refused to fulfill the entire purpose of God. We've got to stop being satisfied with only doing half of God's will. Be because listen, remember that partial obedience is equivalent to total disobedience. Just like a half true is a full lie. And Saul refused to deal with 
what would become an issue in the life of another. And a principle we all need to realize in our life is that our life does indeed affect those who are around us. The victories we win and the battles we lose will affect those around us. And so now because of the Amalekites who had been dealt with by Saul, uh, now because they hadn't been dealt with, now they're heckling David and his men. And in his absence, they came and disrupted the lives of those at Ziglag. They came in and they took all the wives. They took the children. Uh, they took their cattle. They burned the city. They totally raised it to the ground. By the time David and his men showed up, there, there was nothing but smoldering ashes left in that city. And David began to lament and David began to weep. Matter of fact, his the people that he had led into battle and into war had, had turned on him and said, I think, I, I think we ought to kill David now. Look what David did. The men who just days earlier had their backs to David and they were fighting the enemy together. Now they're turning and they're saying, I think we ought to kill David. And David falls on his knees in the ash and he rubs it on his face and he begins to sob before the Lord. And the Bible gives us one of the most powerful insights to the human emotion of despair when the Bible said that David wept until he had no more power to weep. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's turned to him. It's David's fault. But then David, David, the Bible said, encouraged himself in the Lord. And something happened. And, and, and something happened to David. David all of a sudden realized that he had destiny on his life. And that God had called him to sit upon the throne of Israel and to make God's people the greatest nation that was upon the face of the earth, living in the Abrahamic promise and covenant that God was going to make them the most blessed people and the most powerful people and the most prosperous people on earth. And David stood up and he dusted the ashes off of himself and he put on the linen effort, amen, and felt the anointing of the Lord upon himself. And he no longer cared about what the soldiers around him were willing to do. David just lifted up his voice and said, God, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? He wasn't even asking for permission. He was just saying, when do you want me to go? He didn't even say us, we, me and my men. David said, I'll do it by myself. He got up under the anointing of God. He began to remember his destiny. He, he began to remember the old arm of that prophet. He began to remember the feeling of that warm oil as it was poured over his head in the house of his father amongst his brethren and he stood up and said shall I overtake them and shall I pursue in other words David said I'll go whip them all by myself I've got such an anointing and a destiny on my life that I can go and I can whoop any foe you've got to stop kowtowing to what the devil is trying to do in your life greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and it doesn't matter what comes your way if God is on your side you shall pursue and you shall shall overcome. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. you got to have that kind of a mentality in your life. I am against the odds. I am going to, I totally believe with all of my heart that if those men, Brother Chase, would have not picked up their swords and they would have not followed behind David, I believe with all of my heart that David single-handedly would have whipped and killed every Amalekite that stood before him because of the anointing of God that was on his life. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear me right now. 
You need to quit hiding behind the rocks. You need to quit waiting on the consensus of people around you. You need to grab a hold of the promise of God and say it doesn't matter come hell or high water. I am going to pursue the blessing, the promise, the purpose, and the destiny of God in my life. I don't care who says I can't do it. I don't care that I don't have the right name, the right pedigree, the right background, the right financing, the right education. If God said I can, then I will do it by the grace of God. Amen. I'm sorry to get so worked up on a Wednesday night. But I'm trying to get you to to, to stir something up in you as we're stepping into December and realize, amen, that we are in a battlefield. Amen. And it's not time to to try to circle the wagons right now. Uh, They used to have this song in, in the hymnal. I hate this song. It's, it's called Hold the Fort for I Am Coming. Dumbest song ever written. Hold the Fort for I Am Keep hiding in the ditches until I get there. Cover me till I get there so I can hide with you. Hold the fort. Hold, hold the fort. Circle the wagons. Have you lost your mind? What God do you think you're serving? Amen. My God don't hold the fort. My God owns everything. He's in control of everything. He's in all, through all, and in you all. Amen. I believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There is no enemy that can overcome the power of my God. There is no foe that has ever threatened the throne of his kingdom. There is no sickness that can overwhelm him. There is no disease that can knock him out. There is no weapon that can reach him. No bomb that can dethrone him. And I belong to him. And guess what? You do too. And against the odds, whether it's a well that swallows you and goes to the bottom of the ocean, if it's a fiery furnace that you're thrown into, against the odds, God is able to see it through in your life. Amen. Whatever the case is, against the odds, you can make it if God has promised you to make it. So the first thing you need to do is make sure that it's God's promise and not just your fleshly desire. With all thy getting, get understanding. Amen. I've had to learn some hard lessons in life when I pursued things I thought was God that wasn't God. You can still be wrong trying to do the right thing. Amen. Amen. You can still be wrong trying to do the right thing. Because if the right thing is not the God-ordained thing, boy, you can complicate matters. Don't believe me? Ask Abraham. We're still dealing with the complications of Abraham. Don't believe you can't complicate things? Ask Peter. You need to hold on to it and say, God, uh, you know, we used to sing, there was a song we'd sing called, I Can't Even Walk Without You, Hold My Hand. We got to get back to that level of dependency on the Lord. See, we, if we were to write that song, you know, in modern days, it would only have about nine words. But... But if we wrote it, today it would go something like this. Lord, I'll try to walk without you holding my hand. And if the Tylenol don't work and the bank won't lend it, help me somebody, and the bank won't lend it, and I don't get enough likes in social media, then I'll hold your hand. We need to get back where our first dependency is on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
David said, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but as for me, I will remember the name of the Lord. Amen. I am walking, not into, I'm not waiting till I get into the new year. I am determining down in the marrow of my spiritual bones that I am going to be what God has promised. I'm not talking about money alone. I'm not talking about the temporal uh, uh, blessings of God. I'm talking about the purpose of God in my life. You can be the prayer warrior God's calling you to be. You can be the man or woman of faith that God's calling you to be. You can be the disciple maker that God is calling you to be. So it's time to shake off the dust. And it's time to find victory in the pursuit of the things of God. Amen. The Bible said in 1 Samuel 30 and 17, it said, David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You know, these Hollywood fights, you know, I remember the old Bruce Lee movies. Man, them things. Man, Bruce Lee would, hi-ya, for 30 minutes, he'd whoop somebody. That's why we'd watch them. You know, we'd watch them, then we'd try them out on each other. We'd watch wrestling, you know. You know we didn't have wrestling. We had wrestling. And we'd watch wrestling. And I mean, before, before it got clownish, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about WCCW out of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, the Von Erichs, <laughs> the Von Erichs and the Animal and, and the Freebirds and, and all of them. And, and, and we'd watch that, man, them fights would go on for 30, 45 minutes, Ric Flair and the Steel Cage and all that. And then came Hulk Hogan and Junkyard Dog and Andre the Giant, the Iron Sheik. And you'd watch them fight for 45 minutes. I, I you know what? I was disappointed when I learned that wrestling wasn't real. That was the hardest day in my life at 19 years old when I found out it wasn't real. I'm just kidding. And I thought it, what I couldn't understand as a kid was, well, we tried to wrestle like that. We tried to fight like that. After about three or four minutes, you'd get this stitch in your side. And I didn't care how good a shape you were in. Three or four minutes, man, you were huffing and puffing. Because if you've ever been in a real fight, and I'm not talking about a slap fight, but I'm talking about a real fight, those don't really last very long. Because I'm going to get in this fight, I'm going to do this. And I love Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I mean, you may think you're bad, bad Leroy Brown, but when you step up in that fight, you get hit. Everything changes. Your kung fu goes out the window. Your taekwondo, Suzuki Yamaha goes out the window. You may thought you were Karate Kid. I can remember after Karate Kid, people around the playground wanting to fight each other doing this stuff. You know, they were doing the, the, the praying madness and all that. That didn't work. Man, you, don't, you, if you get somebody mad enough, you can learn all that kind of stuff. All it takes is one punch in the nose to change everything. And, and, and I've, been, I've been blessed and, and unfortunate enough to be in my share of fights. I'm not a tough guy. I haven't whooped everybody. I've crushed plenty of fists with my face. And I'm going to tell you, a real fight don't last more than 45 seconds. Everybody says, I was in a fight for five minutes. They are lying to you. You've never been in a brawl five minutes. You couldn't breathe past 30 seconds. But the Bible said David fought them from one day all the way to the next he was fighting. I point that out to say this. David and his 400 men, they fought from twilight evening until the evening of the next day. Sometimes the battle you're in is going to require you to fight longer than just a day. It's going to cause you to fight longer than just one Sunday service or one Wednesday night service or one Thursday night prayer. Matter of fact, if all you do is run in and punch and run out and don't fight, you're going to lose that battle. 
you got to be willing to fight until there is total victory. Sometimes battle requires more than just a day of fighting because the church is not built in a day. A man of God is not built in a day. A prayer warrior is not built in a day. A worshiper is not built in a day. An overcomer is not built in a day. It's not built in the altar one time speaking in tongues and feeling goosebumps. If you are going to be a warrior, a man or a woman of God, it takes the constant wrestling against the flesh. It's what Paul said. I'm constantly pressing after the prize of the high calling of God. Listen, the stress fractures in life are going to take more than a day to recover from. Amen. You've got to learn to fight and get back in the fight and say, I'm going to fight until I see total victory in my family. Pentecost only occurred after they tarried. Whatever it cost, no matter what the obligation required, they were in that upper room until they received the promise of God. How many miracles have been left aborted in the house of God because we were just too quick? How many victories were left in our prayer closet because the alarm went off and we had things we needed to do? You got to get a determination against the odds. No matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to step into the victory that God has called me to. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. And Satan wants you to think tonight. He is determined to convince you that we, like Esau, cannot recover the birthright. He wants to convince you that you have sold something that you cannot buy back and you're hopeless. You've missed the mark. Your time has passed. Your season has passed. He wants to convince you that you're a Judas that has betrayed and that will never be able to be redeemed. He wants to convince you you're like the rich young ruler who's bypassed the intersection of opportunity. But I want to tell you something. You can make a U-turn. You can make, you're never too old to step into God's purpose in your life. And you've never derailed it just by your sin or mistake. The Bible says the gift and the callings of God are without repentance. I believe every word in that Bible. And what that literally means is the gift and callings of God are irrevocable. I believe what God intends for your life can and will happen if we will let him. But here's the challenge. For those of you that may feel defeated, you may feel fallen. Yeah, you've shouted, you've been blessed. Coming off the hills of awakening, I can't imagine you not being blessed. I don't know how somebody didn't leave there with something. Micah 7 and 8 says, Rejoice not against me. Oh, mine enemies, when I fall, not if I fall, when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. If we have fallen, the challenge is now to get back up, get back in the fight against all odds. Bloodied and bruised, get back in the fight. Get back in the fight. It may hurt, but swing back again. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm not fighting as one that beateth at the air. He was talking about shadow boxing. I'm not just, I'm not just standing there trying to look fancy and rope-a-dope and double time on the fast bag. That's not what I'm doing. Basically, Paul said, every time I swing, I'm hitting something. I'm not praying for religious routine or ritualism. When I pray, I'm unsheathing the sword in the spirit. If I pray for my food, I want the devil to shiver just a little bit. And 
David recovered all that he had lost and he fought on against the odds. You can do it. You can do it. I'm going to tell you, if a man with no modern technology can navigate the entire Grand Canyon on that rough Colorado River with one arm and a stub on the other, you've got what it takes. If David, against all the Amalekites, can recover everything, you can recover what has been taken. Don't walk into 2024. Don't let this year end without you getting back what the enemy has taken from you. Don't be bullied. Don't be bull rushed. If you know who you are, that's why David was able to kill a giant. Because he knew who he was. He knew the anointing that is on his life. If you're still unsure about who you are in Christ, you've got a long, hard road ahead of you. But the moment you realize, I know who I am, I don't say that in boasting or in pride as in a sense that I have done this, but by the grace and the mercy of Almighty God, I am blood washed. I am redeemed by the cross of Calvary. My sins are up under the crimson flow. Amen. And I stand here clean and redeemed by the blood of Jesus with a purpose on my life. And my goal in life is not to warm a cold spot on a chair in a church, but to be what God's called me to be and to do what God has called me to do. But if you do that, just know, I preached this on Sunday, as soon as God gives you a promise, here comes the problem. But if you're willing to fight through it against the odds. Grandpa told me a story. Bishop Price told me a story numerous times. I would ask him to tell it to me a lot. It's one of my favorite stories. I remember the first time he told me I was driving him in his Lincoln. Now remember that white Lincoln he had? I was driving him somewhere to the valley. He started telling me a story. He always kind of liked to jab Texas a little bit. That was okay because I jab back harder about Mississippi. <laughs> He's told me a story. He said, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, tell me a true story of a circuit rider evangelist who was going around preaching. He got to the small West Texas town and he began to hang up flyers. And the flyers were announcing a revival to begin at the public meeting hall. There in that little town, people began to warn him, sir, <laughs> this ain't a religious town. and You don't want to pull that Jesus stuff here. People won't have it. And he said, well, God sent me here. And irrespective of how you feel, if it's just me, I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach the word of God in Acts 2.38. They said, sir, we can assure you, you don't want to show up tonight. You don't want to pray. He kept getting warned. Storekeepers were warning him. The pharmacist warned him. Even the saloon keeper warned him. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. Finally, somebody told him why. I said, sir, we run preachers out of here all the time. You think you're the only one to come in here and want to preach and build a church? That we won't have that stuff. He said, matter of fact, we got some pretty rowdy teenagers around here, some pretty rowdy and rough cow hands. And boy, they'll have fun with a preacher like you. He said, when every preacher gets in the pulpit, they climb up in the rafters and they just lean over and just spit on him. 
is drop spit. When they run out of spit, they'll drink some whiskey and they'll mouth full of spit and they'll spit on them until they leave. He said, well, I can't abandon my mission. That night, the, most of the town, they packed into that hall. Back then, there wasn't anything else to do, so they packed into that public meeting space. And that tall, long preacher walked into that room, everybody watching him. He steps up to the pulpit. They could hear the scurrying of those young men in the rafters. They looked up into them open rafters and open rafters and those young men were positioning themselves right above the pulpit. That preacher opened his black long coat, laid his Bible on the pulpit. This is a true story. Reached in his jacket and pulled out two glistening 45s and laid them on the pulpit. And he said, let's bow our heads and pray. He said, Lord, I want to thank you for the guiding and directing me to this town. I want to thank you for the many souls that are going to be saved here and for a church that's going to be established for your kingdom. He said, but so help me, God, if one dribble of spit hits me, I'm going to kill every boy that's above me. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Five to six weeks later, there was an established church in that little town. Sometimes you need to pull out your 45s and lay them down and let the devil, devil know you mean business. Now, you may not have a shiny 45, but you've got an axe in 238s. And you need to against the odds. Against the odds, you need to determine, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to be what God has planned for me to be. And I'm not waiting until January 1. I'm starting. I'm going to start the convictions. Now. I'm going to start the commitment right now. Because you're going to be playing catch up if you wait until Vision Sunday or Sunday of Sacrifice. Start now. Start your prayer life now. Right. Start fasting now. Yeah, we'll do it all as a church in January. Yay. Woohoo. Start now. Right. Get your word now. Step into your new year, not needing victory, but having victory. Because there is nothing that can stand against you, not even a mountain. That if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, be ye removed to yonder place, and it shall be done. Why? Because God's calling is greater than your obstacle. This makes sense tonight kind of catch a theme the spirit has for us i know we could be fixating on you just telling little christmas stories and kind of you know just edging our way through the new at the end of the year and oh god help us and bless little timmy and all that stuff getting through god wants you to have victory and purpose in your life and if the truth be told some of us got some obstacles in our way and in our life right now Things may be going good, but I preached this Sunday. You're either going into a storm, in the storm, or coming out of one, get ready to go in the next one. But God didn't call you to defeat. He called you to be a victor. That's what his word said. For you are more than overcomers, more than conquerors. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And it's not always easy to overcome. 
Sometimes it takes praying a little bit longer. Fasting an extra day. I know this isn't popular Bible teaching. Fasting an extra day. Turning off the internet or the phone and getting in the word of God. Getting on your knees and opening that Bible and praying. God, infuse this word into my spirit. Let me walk with the boldness of David. Let me walk with the boldness of the apostles. They walked in the anointing and the calling of God. I want to be very clear. When I say the anointing and the calling of God, I'm not relegating to that to ministry. I'm talking to every person in this place. All of us were called to be ministers. I'll close with this. We were at Thanksgiving. And we all have a unique family dynamic. And... It's been neat to see my dad come back to the Lord and just sold out, like totally sold out to the Lord. I prayed 30 years for that man to be saved or or 20-something years for him to be saved. He's on fire for God. I mean, he had back surgery and went to church like three days after he got home. They, you know, you know, he went determined to go to church. Amen. And thank God pain pills helped get him through it. Amen. But he went to church. He wasn't going to miss church. I'm just not going to miss church. During all of this, my dad's sister, my dad's the oldest, his sister Pam is, and she'll probably listen to this on podcast. She listens to everything. She's always in our, our live feed. She can't get enough church, Brother Chase. She goes home from their morning service just in time to catch the Woodland service, to catch the Vacaville service, then to go back to Sunday night church. When I was a kid, she was in the church. She was in the church for several years. Went through a terrible divorce and had been out of church ever since then until about a year, a little over a year ago when my dad got in the church. Well, he couldn't drive at night, so she had to drive him. And guess who's in church now? Amen. It's beautiful. And all those years she went to church, I mean, she did everything right. She baptized, she did everything right, but she said she had never, she had never, spoke in tongues and after all these months almost a year of going to church a few months ago on a Sunday night my home church in Texarkana at Landmark uh, I believe it was Pastor Calhoun lay hands on her and she began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave her the utterance nobody had to teach her how to do it, it just flowed out of and the simplistic beauty of faith in a believer that's that it's all new to them. It's something to behold when they're new to this. And, and so when I took my father to have surgery a few months ago, uh, we got home from the hospital and he stayed with her a few nights and uh, at her home. And we'd got my dad uh, into the bed and it was about five, six o'clock in the evening and he was sleeping good and I went into the living room and I had to leave out of Dallas that next morning at about 8 a.m. So I had to leave the house around uh, 4.30. And we sat in that living room from that early evening until I finally looked at my watch and I said, I got to get to the airport. I didn't get any sleep. All night long, we talked about the goodness of God, provision of God, the blessing of God. And my aunt had you know, known that I was in ministry, but didn't know she was asking questions about the church and even people in the church because she's seen you on video and telling them your testimonies and how good God is and started asking about some of the missions trips we'd, we'd done. And 
I started telling her about the trip to Haiti several years ago during the earthquake. And how I went and just uh, how looking back, I mean, if I, you know, if I, I, I wouldn't have done it had God told me to do it. Some of you remember that. And I went there and I was telling her the stories about all of that. And uh, then I told her an, another story about the time I went back to Haiti a few years ago. And uh, I told her that story. We wept, we cried, we, we gave God thanks. We, it, it was beautiful uh, talking about God's provision and the miracles that God has worked in this church and around the world. So we're at Thanksgiving. I said that today. We're at Thanksgiving last week. And um, she says, uh, she says, hey, nephew, she calls me. I, I do have a name, but she says, she says, hey, nephew, um, tell, tell me and uh, Uncle Jim and Dale about that last, that trip you went on to Haiti on that, on that boat. And I said, oh, you she goes, yeah, yeah. She started trying to tell the story. She goes, I know I'm messing up. I want to hear it again. She goes, I, I just tell everybody about it. So I just want to make sure I'm getting the details right. And so we're just sitting around there. I start to tell the story, and she, you know, she kind of cut me off. Well, nephew, what about, and I just, you know, I just say, okay, aunt. I call, I call Uncle Jimmy, I call him Unc. And, and so Unc would be asking questions, and Aunt Pam, and then people kind of listening to the story. And uh, I'm talking about against the odds. And I remember going back a few years ago to Haiti. If you don't know the story, you don't remember it. I got on a boat. We were going to the island of Laganoff, who had never heard the Acts 2.38 gospel on this little island off of Haiti. If you'll remember, I went to Homestead, Florida, and I baptized a Haitian pastor. He received the Holy Ghost, and we baptized his entire church, Pastor Johannes. I don't know, Bazalis, I don't know if some of you remember that. And then he wanted me to go to Haiti with him to teach this gospel to the churches, the Wesleyan Methodist churches that he was affiliated with back then. And so I went with him. And so we get on that boat, and I'm being very kind when I call it a boat. I mean, a rubber ducky would have been more safe. And I get on this boat, I'm bad with measurements. It's probably 80, 100 feet long, you know, 35, 40 feet wide, something like that. And, uh, I don't want you to think it's like a Boston whaler or a flat bomb. It was a big boat. And so <clears throat> the boat was supposed to leave at like 10. I get there at 9.30. I start loading, getting on there. Not very many people. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a breeze. I'm going to walk around this little boat. and We're going to be there in a couple hours. You know, not going to be a big deal. But they do things differently in Haiti. And the buzzword for them is not a problem. We didn't leave there till well afternoon, almost one o'clock, because everybody that walked up was allowed passage on that boat for a little bit of money. Now, I paid a full fare because, well, I look the way I look, and I have an American passport, so I probably paid for all the people on that boat. That's not an exaggeration, and, and they started getting on that boat, and it was probably designed for maybe 80 people to be on that boat. By the time we pulled out of port, there was at least 350, 400 people on that boat. And I'm telling you, they were riding on top of the roof. They were tying up their baggage and throwing it over the side. They had goats. They had chickens. Everything you could think of. And when I got on that boat, the bow was about nine feet, seven, eight, nine feet above the water. By the time they threw the rope off, it was probably three and a half feet clearance. We had weighed that boat down so much. And I'm just sitting there thinking, 
And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not some macho man. I, uh, but I don't typically get scared. I, it's like, hey, if God told me to do it, I'll do it. I don't care, you know, whatever. But I started getting scared. And as I'm telling this story, my brother spoke up. He goes, I remember that trip. He said, I remember you called me. And I said, yeah, I did. And my brother starts tearing up and he's getting emotional. Because I so vividly remember being so scared that I called my brother, which was a miracle because it was so expensive to call on your cell phone back then. And I called my brother, the person that was with me, and I already told him. I said, look, if this thing sinks, and I do that, that Brother Garza, when he got on a ferry over in the Philippines, I always give a deal. It's better to be prepared than not prepared. I live by a philosophy. It's better to need and not have and have and not, or it's better to have and not need than need and not have. And I looked at this person and said, if this boat goes down, don't try to save anything. Don't try to save anybody. Swim. Swim as far as you can go. Swim away from bubbles. Swim away from screaming. You swim until you don't hear screaming anymore. You cannot save anybody. If you want to survive, get away from people. Get away from the boat. Get away from the wreckage and the bubbles. Hold on to some inanimate object and hold on until help gets here. And as I sat back and I went through this deal, the thoughts of it just started hitting me. We're about to launch out from here in the Caribbean. It can be turbulent. And I started getting nervous. And so while, as we were pulling out, I got on my phone and I called my brother. And he answered the phone. You know, my brother, he's always jovial. You know, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, I said, hey, I'm in Haiti. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah. He said, little brother, are you okay? I started choking up and I said, actually, I need a big favor from you. He said, what is it? I said, um, if something happen, should happen to me, will you swear to me you'll take care of my daughter and my wife? He said, where are you at? And I said, I'm on a boat. I'm just a little nervous. Would you, all I need, I just need peace. Will you make sure my wife and daughter's taken care? And he said, you know I will, but get off that boat. Get off now. And I said, I can't. I, I, I know God wants me to be in Loganov, and I cannot get off of this boat. But if something happens to me, and I'm at peace, and I'm in the will of God, I told him this. He, as I'm telling the story at Thanksgiving. He's getting emotional, crying, remembering the phone call. I said, but if something happens, please, please, just make sure my little girl and my wife is taken care of. And some of his final words were, I'll do it. I'll absolutely do it. He said, but little brother, get off the boat. I'll come get you. Just get off. The boat. I said, I'm going to be fine. I just needed to know they're going to be taken care of. Hung the phone up. And I sat there and I was taking this in as we're pulling off that little port. And y'all going to think this is, some of you know the story, but if you don't, you're probably going to think this is stupid and, oh, that's just ridiculous and you're just being weird but I'm sitting there and I'm coming to grips with the words I had uttered. The only time I've ever said something like that in my life. I'm coming to grips. Those words are still ringing in my ear. Hearing my brother panic on the other end. And as I'm doing that thinking, maybe I should get off this boat. About that time, a Haitian man comes bebopping around the corner like this. And as he passes, he turns and kind of starts walking toward me. Now, this is what you're going to think. You may think this is the craziest, dumbest thing you've ever heard. I look up, and he is wearing a Razorback baseball cap. 
Now, for those of you that don't know, college football is only big in America, and it's definitely not big in Haiti. And the Razorbacks is a very small fan base. And he comes bebopping, wearing this white hat. Remember the, they'd have back in the, the, the 90s, they had the little, they looked like waves or razors. It was a white hat or red, and they had the hog right in the middle of it. When I saw that, I mean, you think what you want to think. I felt a peace from God say, boy, I got you. And maybe God even called the hogs. I don't know. But I jumped up and I grabbed that Haitian man. I grabbed and I gave him a hug and I said, thank you. And he looked at me and his eyes got real big. It was very odd. I was the only, one of the only white people on that boat, me and one other white person. And I hugged him and I said, thank you. God bless you. And he looked at me and I went, we'll pick suey, brother. We'll pick suey. He had no idea what I was talking about. I said all of that to say this. Against the odds, God's going to take care of you. And it doesn't matter what comes your way. If you've got a promise in your life and a destiny for your life, listen to me. You too can make it against the odds. You're not going to just survive. You're going to walk in the promise of God. Would you stand with me tonight? Amen. Amen. I, I, I do feel such a beautiful touch of the Lord tonight. I feel such a beautiful touch of his presence. We, we live in, in probably one of the most defeatist societies that this planet has ever seen. The enemy, we're constantly being defeated. Our thoughts, everything, 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 everything that was good is now evil. Everything that was evil is now good. It's a constant upside down turn. And I just feel like the Lord is trying to strengthen this church family and say, you know what? Against the odds, you can. And guess what? Against the odds, whatever happens in California, God's still building a church in this city. And God's still building a church in this state. And God's still going to build a church in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco area. You want to know why? Because we are the people of God. And we have been purposed of God. We've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Would you lift your hands right where you are right now? Oh, I feel the beautiful touch of God in this place. Hallelujah. Oh, the presence of the Almighty God is in this place to strengthen somebody tonight. To encourage your spirit. Hallelujah. To challenge you to not settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than the promise of God over your life. Don't back up. Don't acquiesce. Don't surrender. Don't negotiate. Do what God's calling you to do. Become what God wants you to become. Be that man of prayer, that woman of prayer. Be that person of faith. Let God anoint you with an anointing of evangelism in your job and in, in your neighborhood. Let the presence and the power of God work through you because you've been called to the kingdom for this purpose. Against the odds, God's going to use you. Against the odds, other people in your family may have failed, but not you. God's with you. Other people may have surrendered, but not you. God's with you. Nobody else in your family may have came this far, but you're going to go further. Against the odds, God's going to use you. Hallelujah. You may not feel like you've got the right pedigree. You may not feel like you're the right person or the right gender or the right calling or the, or the right education, but I'm telling you against the odds. 
God is going to use you for the kingdom. God's going to anoint you. God's going to use you as a prayer warrior. God's going to use you as a disciple maker. God's going to use you in his kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. 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 Go ahead and load up the boats and cast out into the river. It doesn't matter how many people have failed in front of you. If God's with you, amen, God's not going to deny you his purpose when you're walking by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the blessed name of the Lord. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus name.